professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Wrestling History X, where two friends get together and talk about the story behind the matches. I'm Matt. And I'm Michael. And this is episode three, WrestleMania 1. The greatest wrestling event of all time? To, to be determined? <laughs> yeah. Is the, when they do WrestleMania 2, is the tagline, uh, the greatest, the second greatest wrestling event of all time? The greatest wrestling event of all time, <laughs> again? again? Yeah, squared. So yeah, we're going to head back to March 31st, 1985. Around this time, Amadeus had just won Best Picture. Madonna was about to head out on her first concert tour of all time. That's pretty big. Yeah. Considering how big Madonna is, right? Uh, WrestleMania was produced by the WWF at Madison Square Garden in New York City and was broadcast on closed circuit in selected areas, and supposedly it drew over one million viewers on that closed circuit. You think that's true? Multiple places had it, so yeah. I mean, it could be a, it could totally be a wrestling. Hey, we sold one ticket, but we're gonna tell you we sold five. Yeah, yeah, kind of thing. How many people does Madison Square Garden hold? I don't know if it was a sellout or not. I assume it probably was, but it, the yeah. attendance was nineteen thousand one twenty-one. Yeah, that's what I got as well. So but... it was a little less than twenty thousand people in the stands. It looked pretty full, from what I could tell. Madison Square Garden is basically considered kind of the mecca of WWF. Like literally, no one has ever run a wrestling show in that building well, for like seventy years until until twenty nineteen. Yeah, until we get the New Japan ROH show. I mean, even with it being such a, even a smaller building, WWF, WWE, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Is that a uh, New Japan show sold out? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, it is. So, I mean, let's kick it to the show. Opens up with the coolest 80s version of PowerPoint. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. The like, uh, thing that I noticed was that they showed, like, all the big names, but the Andre looked like it was, like, cut out and like pasted on like a white background <laughs> all the other ones were like a full picture but for some reason like his was just like maybe he just didn't yeah. show up in time for like, promo yeah. pictures they like photoshop they just like took a picture of him like cut it out and like paste it on a white background so we get Gor- gorilla monsoon as the play-by-play guy and jesse ventura on color commentary uh, gorilla monsoon would be the voice of the wwf in the 80s and would be inducted into the professional wrestling and wwf hall of fames He's also, if you ever hear heard of the gorilla position, which is the yeah. the area right inside the state uh, the entrance, yeah, or, where basically the producers and stuff are. It's named after where Vince is barking at everybody's earphones. Yeah, yeah it's basically named after after Gorilla Monsoon. Ah, I did not know that. I never knew. Yeah, I was like, I know it's the gorilla position. Jesse Ventura is considered the first color commentary uh, guy to be a heel while he was on the mic, and he would eventually become the governor of Minnesota in 1998 and is also a member of the WWE Hall of Fame. And in uh, one of the greatest action movies of all time, The Predator. 
Or I guess it's just Predator, the new one's the Predator. Yeah, it's just Predator. Just skip that one. I haven't seen it, so uh, that's, yeah. that's going to be your opinion. Uh, so they ended up throwing it to Howard Finkel, our ring announcer, standing with the overhead mic in hand. I love the over yeah the overhead, overhead mic. mic. Yeah, there's always two of them. It's yeah, it's such a bizarre look. Uh, Finkel has been with the WWE since 1975. He's actually considered the longest employed uh, employee of WWE, other than you know Vince and Linda McMahon, basically. Um, he's a member of the WWE and Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Wait, he's still employed? He's still employed. He ha- he basically has a lifetime contract with them. What, what is, is... I mean, he just does creative. Okay. He's in the back doing stuff. Basically as a senior advisor type thing. We then get... Is mean... he the only person that ever stayed loyal to the WWF? I mean, he's the longest tenured yeah. employee. The next guy we're going to talk about... Mean Gene Okerlund. Of course, went to WCW. He performed the national anthem. Oh, and I, I, yeah, I love that. It was better than it should have been. Yes. <laughs> he actually also had a lifetime contract once he came back. Oh, okay. I mean, the uh, so that's over now. Was who was supposed to do R.I.P. it? R.I.P. Mean Gene. Yeah, rest in peace, bud. Who was supposed to do it? Obviously, it wasn't planned for him to do the national uh, anthem. There was supposed to be someone else, some celebrity guest. Yeah. But neither Mean Gene nor Vince McMahon has ever said publicly come out and said who it was supposed to be. I wonder why that's weird. So no I feel dirt. Like, uh, just, I don't have any dirt. They didn't. They didn't just give like swing Cindy Lauper an extra grand. Have her go out there. And I know, right? <laughs> she, she's there. Uh, so Mean Gene is a member of the Professional Wrestling WWE and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame as well. After he finishes, Ventura gives it up for Mean Gene, saying it was a great rendition. Ranks right up there with Robert Goulet. And then we get, so, so, so far, I've had a pet peeve of every show, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of the running thing at this point. We get Lord Alfred Hayes. Oh, he's the worst, and I hope he doesn't show up for and very long I feel after like, this. I feel like he is my pet peeve. Or maybe not, no, not, not so much him, but his placement of where he was. He's not even a necessary part of... He was he's, not a necessary part no, of this show at all. So, basically, every time we go to Lord Halford Hayes, he previews the next match, basically saying, hey, these two people are going to... Uh, he basically introduces the like the Mean Gene to do the promo. Yes, basically. Because then every time he basically kicks it back to Mean Gene for a pre-recorded interview. And so, we have Mean Gene in the back. He's uh, there with uh, Tito Santana. Neither one of them know anything about the Executioner. And then Tito exits, the executioner arrives, and he has the great line. You will know something about me after... And it's like he forgot what his line was oh, supposed okay. to be. I was, like, I was like, I don't remember that. I get through with Tito, he saves himself a little bit, but he like <laughs> totally forgets his line. Yeah, I just know he says he's going to after, go after his leg, because Greg Valentine had injured it previously. Exactly. Also, um, what did Alf- where did Alfred Hayes come from? Is he like a personality? Alfred Hayes was one of the. I think he was the one of the interview guys on Tuesday Night Titans, oh, okay. which was a a talk show type thing that they did yeah. um, back then. I'm not real sure. Okay, he, yeah. He, he did, he's not in any Hall of Fame, so I didn't do a whole lot of research. Yeah, on. I won't bring him up again. I promise. Let's hope not. We're not, we're not fans. So we're gonna get our first match. Obviously, it's Tito Santana versus the Executioner. Tito Santana is a member of the Professional Wrestling and WWE Hall of Fame. 
What do you think about this match? It was fine. It was a solid way to start a show, I feel like. It, my first note. Of, yeah, we'll get the, to the those we'll ropes, get to the other part. Those ropes. Yeah. Tons of give. It's yeah, it's crazy to watch the old stuff and the ropes like it's like a it's like, like, it's like a like, band. I feel like they were like halfway into the crowd whenever they were running off the ropes there. Yeah, they're so so crazy loose. They were so loose. Basically, the match was kind of back and forth. Executioner kept going after a headlock, and he kicked out of it by like jumping into the corner. He's in the headlock, and he like to get off it, he jumps yeah. off the corner and like spins around and like you know takes him down to get take Executioner down to get out of the headlock. That was a fun spot. Tito hits the Executioner with a flying forearm, hooks in the figure four, and the Executioner submits. But I didn't see him tap out. The ref calls for the bell. Like I, don't, I remember I going don't... back and looking for it because he gets the leg lock, and then like I feel like the ref calls for the bell. But I mean, he definitely calls for the bell. But I don't. Well, like, he, I, call, he, he calls for the bell, and then it takes the bell guy like forever to actually like ring the bell too. But I didn't see him tap out. I can't say that I saw him submit yeah. either. It was probably time. <laughs> he was on a clock. Yeah. TikTok executioner. Yeah, you missed your cue. Uh, head back to Alfred Hayes. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Uh, mean Gene talks to Special Delivery Jones, and he's ready for the biggest thing in town. He's going to get down, is what he says. Hart and Bundy show up. Bundy's gimmick at this time was going for the five count. Okay, yeah, because I was like, why does he say that? Because he was, wants you to think about uh, a count out. One, two, three, four, five, boom. And it's like took him forever to say it. I was like, it's like what, what's this four and five business? Yeah, basically... Bundy's gimmick at the time, yeah, he, he would instead of going just for the three count, he'd be like, "He's like, I'm so, I'm, I'm so, so good yeah. that I can get the five count." So the second match, King does, Kong, did, did, does like that mean that they do the three and he wins, and then he stays on top of him and does the next two? Because that'd be well, cool he just basically had the ref continue to count. <laughs> yeah, I, guess. I like the idea of him covering, like picking up where the ref left off and like counting himself to five. So we get the second match, King Kong Bundy with Jimmy Hart versus Special Delivery Jones. Jimmy Hart is a member of the WWE and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. And I got a fun fact here for you. S.G. Jones, back when he was in the NWA, was presented as the kayfabe cousin of Rufus R. Jones, who we met in Starcade 83. Old shaky limbs. That's right. So this match, let's see here if I can... If I can go through this match quicker than the match actually was. Uh, okay, okay. Well, let me count you off. Uh, Bundy bear hugs and then rams Jones into the turnbuckle. Avalanche and a giant splash gets the one, two, three in record time of nine, nine seconds. seconds. I felt bad for but uh, technically for the match Jones. was actually like 24, but they went with nine seconds. Yeah. I did like that. Uh, they referred to King Kong Bundy as a mountain with legs, feet, and arms. <laughs> like uh, that's that's yeah. There's a no creativity in that at all. It's like, no. Yeah, it's like he's a big man. But actually, the, my favorite part about this was after we literally just got done with Bundy going, I'm going for the five count. He gets up after the three count. He doesn't even try for the five count. Maybe that's why the the. The five, the one, two, three, four, five, boom was so confusing. I was like, "What is that?" Exactly. Mean? exactly. Like, I think he just got. I thought he maybe just got carried away and like kept counting. And he's like, "I got to stop at five. I, I can guess. totally see why that was why that was confusing. Now, that, now that I think about it, yeah. So we head back to we don't get Alfred Hayes this time. Oh, we go straight yes. back to Mean Gene, who's talking to Matt Bourne and then to Ricky Steamboat. Both of them basically. Uh, Matt Bourne goes, "Ricky's too nice. Ricky's too nice." And then Ricky responds with, 
I do have a mean streak. Yeah, he's a, he's a better promo for uh, Ricky than the last couple of yes, shows for very sure. Much so, so that third match, Ricky Steamboat versus Matt Bourne. Well, is, yeah, did, is he no longer the Dragon when he is in WWF? Because they don't refer to him as the Dragon at all. No, he's. They haven't started calling him the American Dragon yet. Oh, okay. He he does become that, but this is going to be our first instance of. Do you know who this person becomes? Matt Bourne, I don't know. Matt Bourne. He I'm comes back. Up, can I look, well, if I look it up... If I look no, of course, of if you look it up. It's going to be... Yeah, it'll be whatever his you know, mo- most famous gimmick is. So Matt Bourne comes back as Doink the Clown oh, in man. the 90s. So even looking at him, you wouldn't have gotten that. I remember uh, as a small kid, I went to like a wrestling daytime show in like a college somewhere in Sacramento... And uh, I don't know if it was actual Doink, but there was definitely. Uh, I think there was doink. like four people he, that yeah. played Doink at some point. And it was like, yeah, Doink was the the most famous person on the card in this like room with like a hundred children. Uh, and yeah, that's all I got. It's like they're definitely the first wrestling show I ever went to. That's great. To the match, it's only been six months in real time. But Ricky looks to be in in better shape. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Than the last time we saw him. I actually, uh, after this, I watched like one of the older like, you know, those cheesy network like DVDs uh-huh. that they did, and I watched the Ricky Steamboat one, and it's crazy that he kind of only gets like buffer and leaner as he gets older. It's pretty impressive. It's awesome. So Bourne keeps trying to basically flip Steamboat, but Ricky keeps landing on his feet. Yeah, I love uh, how how many uh, leapfrogs. Yes. Ricky Steamboat is a leapfrog man. Bourne hits a belly-to-belly suplex, and Monsoon actually calls it a suplex. I know. He's kind of disappointed there for a second. No, I'll get. I'll, I'll, there's more suplex in our future. There are definitely <laughs> are. Uh, swinging neckbreaker, a knee drop for two, and then what is technically a shoulder block. Jesse Ventura calls. A double right hand. Okay, I did not. He literally that. said double right hand. Double. And I'm all like, a double, double right. Hand. It's when you like, move. You're, it's when you punch so fast. It, how do you it, hit with a double yeah. right hand? But it was a shoulder block. Puts Bourne down, and then Ricky goes to the top rope for a crossbody. A la Jimmy Snuka. I believe that's what uh, one of the announcers said. Oh, do they? Yeah. And uh, Steamboat gets the one, two, three, and that's the end of the match. So we're just rolling right along on WrestleMania. Three matches in. Well, I mean, we had uh, our nine-second one, so... Well, we, it, it was a record for a long, long time. <laughs> was it? Was it? Yeah, it was a record until... I want to say it was like Rock and somebody... Oh, yeah. In like, at a WrestleMania in like the 30s or something like that. We, we get back to Hayes this time. And here, here was, here's where my pet peeve comes in. Where they're filming Lord Alfred Hayes is literally at the entrance where the wrestlers walk in and out of the locker room. Yeah. And so at this point, you see Ricky and Matt Bourne walk behind him as he's doing his preview of the next match. But then you also see Brutus Beefcake and Johnny Valiant walk in front of him like they didn't even realize <laughs> that he's recording. Or they didn't care. Or they, yeah. they probably just didn't care. But I can't imagine that... Um... Like, I don't like Lord uh, Lord Alfred uh, from my television screen, so, I mean, I don't, who, how over could he have been in the locker room? Exactly. Uh, sends it back to Mean Gene, who's in the back with uh, the San Martinos, and then Brutus and Valiant 
Uh, I love that Valiant didn't let Brutus talk. He was like, no, you're not talking. <laughs> so we get the fourth match, Brutus Beefcake with Johnny Valiant. Versus... Oh, no, uh, Brutus gives the mic a raspberry, and I thought that was very funny and silly. Like, after the promo or whatever. Like, oh, like, yeah, yeah that's could, right. Yeah, like, after Valiant's, like, done talking, like, Brutus just goes into the microphone. <laughs> uh, so Brutus is with Johnny Valiant, and David Sammartino has his father, Bruno Sammartino, with him. Valiant is actually presented as the kayfabe brother of Jimmy Valiant, and they are actually the first tag team to ever be inducted into the WWF Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. When did the Hall of Fame start? Uh, 93. Oh, okay. And then uh, Bruno Sammartino. If you don't know who Bruno Sammartino is, uh, you should kind of be shot. Because... <laughs> oh, not shot. Well, okay. I mean, I, like, I've never seen a Bruno match. But you've, but I've, I never, know, I've who... never seen one either, yeah. but I know who Bruno Sammartino yeah. is. I've heard of the yeah. guy. His face looks like it should be on Mount Rushmore. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a, I mean, he was a champion for... You said 11 was, years? A total of 11 years, total over 11 two years. reigns, but the first reign was like eight years long. Um, he was one of the first WWF champions. Like, basically, he was the guy that kind of helped McMahon split from the NWA, which we'll talk about at some point. But Bruno, because of that long reign, he's a member of the Professional Wrestling, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. The Kind of the sad part about this match is... David Sammartino is really kind of an afterthought. He is. That's what I have. I have that written down here, too. It's like, he just seems like afterthought, but he's so good in the ring. Really? You thought he was good? I thought he was, I thought he was, uh, like, pretty compelling. That's, that's a different view that I I wouldn't. I mean, he looks like he should be the leader of his bowling team. Definitely. You, like, he looked like, uh, he definitely wrestled like he was, like, at a high school tournament. I mean, I he, definitely, he definitely showed some amateur wrestling ability. Yeah. Because he, he was very prolific with the headlocks, the lead locks. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, talk about, like, moving in the ring. He wasn't, he wasn't, he didn't have uh, all the boxes checked off by any means. No. But I think that it was better than I expected. So maybe that's why. Okay. I mean, be better than expected, I guess. <laughs> I, I guess I can see where you're coming from there. Because I, I felt like both these guys, both Brutus and David Sammartino, very green yeah, they they probably should they probably shouldn't have Brutus done a is nobody's single, favorite wrestler. They should not have done a singles match here. They probably should have done a tag match with with Valiant and Bruno in the match as well, because basically that's what it ends up turning out to be. You know, Brutus finally gets D- David does his amateur wrestling thing. Brutus finally gets some offense going. Brutus throws David out to the floor. And Johnny Valiant body slams him on the concrete. Mm, is that when? Uh... And that's basically when pandemonium breaks loose. Yeah. Everyone starts brawling in the ring. The refs can't control it, so basically throws the match out and for, calls for a double DQ. Bruno comes out. The crowd goes nuts. I mean, obviously the whole idea. Yeah. Like you knew by ahead of time that yeah. this was going to be basically a, the, that's the reason why David's there. So Bruno Bruno can be there as well. This match, like. The previous three matches were a total of like twenty minutes, maybe. Yeah, it's pretty quick. This match was eleven minutes long, and it didn't need to be eleven minutes long. If you if you want to know where your pee break is for this show, it is this match. Just stick around long enough to see Brutus's ring attire because it's fantastic. It's, the male stripper. Yeah, he's like male just, stripper. Attire. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. like the super shiny, like purple striped pants and uh, 
like it's fun. it's it's fun. There's a headbutt to the midsection that I hated because there's like why would you I don't know like how effective can that be? Depends on how good the headbutt is. If, you're, guess. Junkyard dog, dog. <laughs> if you're junkyard dog, maybe if you're junkyard dog. So we move on uh, another haze preview, and then we get Mean Gene with uh, Valentine and Hart, and then junkyard dog. And uh, junkyard dog has a great line. Buy a whole lot of bones when I get my hands on that bone. Oh, yeah. He says, I need myself a bone, and I can get a bunch with that title. <laughs> so we get the fifth match, Junkyard Dog versus Greg Valentine with Jimmy Hart for the WWF Intercontinental title, or championship is actually what they called it back then. They actually did call it the championship back then. Um, yeah. uh, junkyard Dog is a member of the Professional Wrestling and WWE Hall of Fames. And then we've talked about Greg Valentine and Jimmy Hart before. Yep. There's actually a, a little bit of a story behind this match. And it kind of draws from the Greg Valentine-Tito-Santana feud. Like we talked about earlier with Tito-Santana and the Executioner. Yeah. Executioner was going after his leg because mm-hmm. Valentine's done something. So basically two weeks prior to WrestleMania, Valentine and Tito had had a lumberjack match. Junkyard Dog was one of the lumberjacks. Valentine gets thrown out onto the floor and a little bit of a skirmish yeah. between Valentine and Junkyard Dog had happened. And so they made the they made the match. Yeah. For the greatest wrestling event of all time. That's uh that's cool. It's always nice when uh you got a you got a reason behind the match. Exactly. Junkyard Dog comes out to some theme music. On the network it wasn't his theme song from the wrestling album. It wasn't the same song. Okay, I'm not familiar with the wrestling album. It's the greatest thing ever. All right. I'll have to YouTube that later. Exactly. That's what you need to do. You need to wait till the show's over and then go and find the wrestling album. But is it so is it them performing songs? There's some written people for it or is it just people, intros or like their entrance music? There's music just entrance music. There's actual wrestlers singing on some of them. Oh, that's so good. It's just a whole bunch it's of a whole production. Yeah. It was That's cool. Great. I wonder uh, how much that goes for on eBay, like for a vinyl copy of it. Because <laughs> I could totally add that to the collection. And uh, the moment I realized that Junkyard Dog was going to be a favorite of Michael's, the headbutt while on all fours. The headbutt on all fours. Uh, I think he does it like two or three times, but it looks so absolutely mean. Uh, Valentine starts working the legs, goes for a figure four, but Junkyard Dog kicks him off. Yeah, I hate that uh, the junkyard dog like kind of begs while he's like working his leg. He puts his hands up and like, and I don't want to see the junkyard dog beg. It's got to be strong. Yeah, he's strong I, in the ring. I, yeah, junkyard I just did, dog. Yeah, I didn't like. Uh, that's the only thing I didn't like about the junkyard dog. I have a note. Junkyard dog really loves headbutts. Like that was yeah. his entire offense was headbutts, and they were all very good looking. Butts. Yeah, they look great. The uh, one of the announcers, I don't remember who said it, but uh, he said he. Oh, headbutted him a shot that would drop an oak tree. That's a good headbutt. <laughs> yeah. That's a good headbutt. A solid headbutt. Uh, Jimmy Hart jumps on the apron to distract, and Junkyard Dog grabs him. And then Valentine goes to, by the words of Gorilla Monsoon, Pearl Harbor Hill. Oh, they say that so much in this show. Which, as you can if assume, you, if you is don't a sneak know, attack. It's a sneak attack, <laughs> yes. Just a really, I, it's a really gnarly way to say I sneak loved, attack. I loved the Pearl Harbor. I was just like, like the first time I was like, did yeah. you just say Pearl Harbor? Yeah. I was like. It gets said a few more times in this awesome. show. And not just this match. And 
I was like, at first I was like, is that PC no, at all? No, I mean, maybe yeah. an eighty-five. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, is that okay? It depends on how old your grandpa is. Uh, but Valentine goes to hit Junkyard Dog, but actually accidentally hits Heart off the apron. Junkyard Dog comes back with some lefts, some rights, some more headbutts. That gets Valentine into the corner. And then uh, Greg gouges the eyes. Oh, yeah. A double leg takedown. Puts his feet on the ropes for the leverage. Yeah, that, the was, that was like, I mean, of course, we've all seen that a million times. But I felt like it was done pretty well in this match. It was like, done It was really a well. solid execution of, uh, you know, that overused trope. So he gets the one, two, three. But then, who shows up? Tito Santana runs out. Yeah. The guy who's... Who's in the feud with Greg Valentine and tells the ref what happened. And for some reason, because Tito says so... Yeah, I thought that was bullshit. The ref restarts the match. Yeah. A weird deal. But Valentine just stands outside the ring... Because he can take... And gets counted out. The count out and not lose the belt. So, Junkyard Dog starts... Like, literally hits the 10 count and Junkyard Dog starts celebrating in the ring. And I'm all like, hey, yeah, you won. You don't Damn, get the belt. belt. Yeah, it was a good. Uh, it was a good way to add more heat to Valentine. Moving on, begin uh, another Hayes preview, and then Mean Jeans with Volkov and Iron Sheik, and then the U.S. Express in the back. First question: What is hanging off of Lou, Captain Lou Albano's face? I don't know. It looked like he took like a like a like streamers from like the end of like a small child's bicycle like handle and like glued them to his face. I can't figure it out. I was like, is that a fishing lure? Yeah. It was the weirdest. It just looks like, yeah, like a couple of like three or four streamers and there's like two of them like on the same side of his cheek. And I mean, one looked like it was on his ear, but the other one looked literally like it was hanging off of his cheek. Yeah, it was hanging off his cheek, but I don't know how he got on there because it doesn't like, I mean, maybe spirit dumb, but it's not like taped on there. And I don't understand. I thought maybe you'd have an answer. (laughs) I don't have an answer. I was hoping you had an answer. Yeah, yeah. And then the U.S. Express, they're in street clothes when they're doing this interview. And, I mean, we all know it's pre-recorded. Mm-hmm. But they literally say they're headed to the ring right, right now. now. And they're in street clothes. And then the very next shot is they're, they're in their ring attire in the locker room. Which I was just like, okay, sure. We're going to go with it. But the sixth match is Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov with Freddie Blassie. Classy Freddie Blassie. Versus the U.S. Express, which is Barry Windham and Mike Rotundo with Captain Lou Albano for the WWF Tag Team Championship. So Iron Sheik, member of the NWA and WWE Hall of Fame. Volkov is a WWE Hall of Famer. Freddie Blassie is an NWA professional wrestling WWF Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer. Get where I'm going with this. Lots of Hall of Famers in this match. Barry Windham, member of the WWE Hall of Fame. Captain Lou Albano, professional wrestling, WWF, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer. So who does that leave? Mike Rotundo. Is he in none of them? He is not. But it's our second, second chance for you to figure out who this person becomes. Do you have any clue? I assume that they that he wears a mask or face paint. He does not. He doesn't. No. Oh, then I yeah. Then I. What you what you would know him as is I R S. Ah. 
he has many different gimmicks because he ends up going over to WCW at one point and is Michael Wall Street, and but then comes back as IRS yeah. in the WWF. In Cap- the Captain Midcard, basically. Yes, I, I always enjoyed IRS. He was he was good for what he was supposed to do. Yeah, basically that midcard heel. Oh, we're not skipping the national. Okay. Volkov sings the Soviet national anthem. With trash being thrown uh, into the ring. It's real, real ass heat. There's major heat. And after yeah. he sings it, uh, uh, Iron Sheik says, Russia number one, Iran number one, USA, and then spits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, US Express heads out with entrance music of their own. Do you know what the entrance music is? I know that it's super cool USA tune. On the network, it is Born in the USA. Is it? Yes. I, I watched that show and I don't remember it being Born in the USA. Fun fact, the song... I, know, I would forget that. I'm a Bruce fan. The song Real American, that everyone associates with Hulk, Hulk Hogan, Hogan, was actually written for the U.S. Express. And the thing is, I think possibly it was probably played here and not born in the USA. Yeah. How did they get born in the USA on the network? I have no clue. Because we couldn't even get... The Phil Collins song. <laughs> I know, right? So I, I, I don't know if that's actually what was played, but there's a possibility. On to the match. Early on, Sheik and Volkov were performing double T moves when Sheik accidentally hits Volkov and then apologizes to him. Do we have heels with the hearts of gold here? <laughs> we got a heel with a giant mustache. And curly-toed boots. Oh, uh, the curly-toed boots. Did he always wear those? If you're the Iron Sheik, I feel like you kind of have to. Yeah, I noticed uh, in a different show, of course, uh, Abdullah the Butcher wearing them. Yes, Abdullah wore them uh, in 83, Starcade 83. Uh, Albano and Blasi are mean mugging each other on the outside. Uh, they actually had this cool thing during the show where they actually did little cut, cut-ins in the oh, corners. Oh, the picture-in-picture? Picture? I was very surprised to see picture-in-picture. Picture. I don't know why. but I know, I was too. Yeah. But it, it, it was cool guess, to kind of keep... Yeah. Keep the managers, remind people, oh, hey, these managers yeah. are part of the match. Basically. You remember having a picture-in-picture picture on your, like, tube TV when you were a kid? I didn't have picture-in-picture picture until, like, late, late, late in the game. Yeah, I just remember, like, the big TV in the living room. Uh, I would have one on WCW in the corner and then one on Raw so I could switch back switch and back forth. Switch back and forth, whichever one. Mm-hmm. Nice. We get a hot tag to Barry Windham. Gives a beautiful drop kick. A running bulldog gets a two count, but Sheik breaks up the pin. Uh, Rotundo then comes in and drop kicks Sheik out of the ring. And as the ref is trying to get Rotundo out of the ring, Sheik grabs Freddie Blassie's cane and hits Wyndham in the back of the head. Volkoff rolls him over and gets the one, two, three. And new! They actually got it. They didn't, uh, no are, crazy are you, job. Are you as stunned as the crowd is right now? I'm not as pissed off as they are, that's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> this crowd was hot. They did not like the old Russian so uh, Iran couple winning these belts off of good old American boys. I, I know you could put anybody in the ring with a, a crazy xenophobic like <laughs> gimmick and it probably wouldn't get the kind of heat that it got in like 1985. No, definitely not. Uh, but yeah, this match was super solid. Uh, yes. It was a, yeah. It was very fun. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, we then cut to actually our first live interview of the show. 
Mean Gene catches up with uh, the, the new champions as they're walking back to the to the ro- uh, the locker room, and uh, she she goes, "You know, Gene Mean." I got that. He totally said his name backwards. It was great. And then we get a Hayes preview, and then oh. back to the pre-recorded interviews with Mean Gene. He's with Big John Stud and Bobby Heenan. Big John Stud literally goes, "This bag of money is pretty heavy, and it's pretty it's tough to lift." The next match is a body slam challenge. It's a body slam challenge, but it's also a career on your line and $15,000 match. It's the most convoluted yeah. shit. But if the bag of money is heavy, how are you going to lift Andre, Andre the Giant? Oh, Matt, you beautiful bastard. I know it's logic. Yeah, I know. But still. <laughs> I love Mean Gene's uh, like money boner here, where he like... Keeps trying oh, to like, yeah, get him in the back and like, the slap him away. Bobby's it's, like, it's pretty great. Get your hands off. Yeah. So we got our seventh match. Andre the Giant versus Big John Stud with Bobby Heenan. In a body slam challenge for $15,000. Also, Andre has to retire if he loses. Andre the Giant is a member of the Professional Wrestling Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. I guess this is the first Giant match we've had, huh? Yes. He is also a WWF Hall of Famer, and he was actually the very first person inducted into the WWF Hall of Fame. Uh, Big John Studd's a member of the WCW and WWE Hall of Fame. And then Bobby Heenan is a professional wrestling WWE and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer. There was a little bit of a story behind this match. Basically, um, this is 1985. In late 1984... Stud, along with uh, one of his partners, Ken Patera, ended up shaving Andre's afro off. And that's what made them at odds with each other, feuding. But Big John Stud was basically going around saying he was the real giant of the WWF. That's not true. And Andre came back and was like, I don't don't think think so, so." bud. So basically, match starts. Stud catches Andre off guard before the bell, but Andre knocks Stud out of the ring. And then Andre starts choking Stud, but Stud hits a low knee to escape. And I got a question for you here. Is it a low knee? If it's Andre the Giant. If Andre the, with Andre the Giant, so big. You got to cut down a tree at the base, baby. Because, like, literally, it was, it was at the knee, or it was at, no, it was at the hip. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Is that a loony? Andre slaps on the bear hug, which looks really good, of course, because Andre's just massive. And then he starts kicking John Stud, And then finally Andre picks him up and body slams him for the victory. And then post-match, Andre grabs the money and just starts like throwing it out to the crowd. Which was awesome. I love it. I know, I'm all like... It's like, yeah. Was that real money? It's like the most babyface thing. It's like, I'm not doing it for the money. But all of a sudden, Bobby Heenan runs in from behind, grabs it, grabs the bag back, and yeah. they take off back to the locker room. Yeah, and Andre raises his fist, big pop, winner of the slam match. Exactly. Uh, we get a Mean Gene live interview with Andre. Basically, says he doesn't care about the money. Yeah. And then Mean he Gene starts. Asks if he's going to retire. And then he starts talking, and yeah. it just cuts away. <laughs> no, he's asked if he's going to retire, uh, and Andre just says like, "No way!" Like four times in a row. But he started talking. He like started doing something else, and After then it that, just like yeah. no, cut yeah. away completely. Yeah. Uh, because what's most important is that we get Alfred B. Hayes. And as he's previewing the next match, 
uh, Fabulous Moolah and Leilani Kai walk by and actually kiss him. Yeah, they give him a smooch. Moolah and Alfred Hayes are really good friends. Yeah. Really good friends. I, I, I don't know. I'm, just, I mean... I'm, I'm, not, I'm insinuating something. I have no clue. Uh, mean Gene is in, then in the back with Cindy Lauper and Rindy, Wendy Richter. And then Moolah and Kai. And uh, is Kai Hawaiian? I don't think so. The re- I mean, her real name isn't Leilani Kai. No. But Mula thought she looked Hawaiian. Is that so why? That was her. Whole... That's why she got this gimmick. Yeah, I love uh, Mula's money glasses, and uh, I have not watched uh, a whole lot of old Mula stuff, so uh, the glasses made me obviously realize that there's a reason she is the fabulous Mula. Yes. Greenbacks, baby. So we get the eighth match, Wendy Richter with Cindy Lauper. Versus Leilani Kai with the fabulous Mula for the WWF Women's Championship. Is there, like, did, did she come out to a Cindy Lauper tune? Yes. I think so. I think it might be without But it might have been, it might have, it might have been. She probably now. came out to, like, Girls Want to Have Fun, but it was probably, it was dubbed on the network as something else. Yeah. Uh, Wendy Richter is a member of the Professional Wrestling and WWE Hall of Fame. Kai is an NWA and Professional Wrestling Hall of Famer. And then, of course, Mula is a member of the NWA Professional Wrestling and WWF Hall of Fames. And so there is a story behind this match. Sit back, relax. Is it a long one? It's actually... A, it's actually They actually did some good storytelling. Okay. So, as we all know, Captain Lou Albano appeared in Cindy Lauper's video, Girls oh, Just Want to yeah. Have Fun. He totally did. He didn't have... He, he also, wasn't, he also you know, appeared in Goonies. He didn't have streamers stuck to his face in that. What was the Goonies song? Uh, Goonies Are Good Enough? Yeah, Goonies Are Good Enough. He also appeared in that along with other wrestlers. But at first he appeared in Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Albino started basically doing this gimmick where he, he was hyping his association with this band called NRBQ. I didn't look them up. I have no clue. Yeah, I'll have to make a note because I don't know what... N-B-R-Q? N-R-B-Q. N-R-B-Q. He basically betrayed himself as an up-and-coming music manager. He looks like one. He looks like the guy that created Backstreet Boys. But David Wolf, who was Lopper's manager Mm -hmm. slash boyfriend, uh, came along to steal his thunder. And this led to Richter and Moolah facing off at the MTV special, The Brawl to Win It All. Oh, why didn't we watch that show? Because Lou Albano was Moolah's manager at the time, and Lopper seconded uh, Richter. So Richter would go on to shock the world by defeating Moolah at this, at this show, who had basically held the belt for 28 years. Not continuously, like she had lost it a couple times, but basically she had been the WWF champion for 28 years at this point but shortly after mula would take on kai as her charge and would challenge richter to a match which would take place at the war to settle the score which was another mtv special in which kai would win the belt so which brings us to wrestlemania i don't know if you realize this but the champ was announced first foreshadowing yeah i don't know Richter and Lopper come out to entrance music, like we said. Uh, Richter hits a double leg kick out of the corner, and then Kai kicks out of the pin attempt, and then drags Richter to the corner, 
where Moolah grabs Wendy by the hair. The lopper's there quickly, breaks it up, and the re- and the action goes back to the picks up in the ring. We got a big boot, a release fireman's carry slam, a double knee lift, a backbreaker. Yeah, there's a, a lot of there's a lot of movement in this match. Yeah, it's a good looking match and a body slam. It yeah, this is a fun match. Uh, Kai goes up to hit a crossbody, and the momentum was supposed to carry him over with Richter rolling over for the pin. They got there somehow, and Richter gets the one, two, three, and new. There was a there's a spot in here where Kai like totally taps, and they don't ring the bell. I guess I didn't in see some that sort of either. Hold, but like it's like she's like oh well, it was at the very beginning like yeah. literally she just kept hitting the yeah, hitting like, the mat and I'm like, like oh, that's, that's tap. tapping yeah. that's tapping but like. I know sometimes, like, you see wrestlers, they're, like, trying they to, do, like... They like that. They'll do, like, the two-hand, like... Trying to get away, you know, like, you know, be like, oh, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts, it yeah. hurts. Like, like, ah. It's like but it constantly... literally looks like they're tapping. No, yeah. yeah. Like... But this one was, like, it looked like a... It, was, yeah, it, it wasn't, like, there wasn't a pause. Like, you know, you're hitting the mat trying to get through the pain. It was... She messed up, but they didn't... Uh, they it, didn't... it wasn't the ending that they were going for. No. Uh, post-match, Lopper's manager boyfriend r- jumps in the ring to celebrate, but then we see Lopper going after Mula. Richter joins in on the beating up on Mula, but Kai grabs her off of Mula. The heels escape to the back. Yeah, there was some fun monsoon and Ventura stuff because they were making fun of Ventura's uh, clothes, saying that he, if he looks like he borrowed him from Cindy Lopper. So the whole show I was waiting to see uh, see him, and you see him like right before they go off there. You see him at the very, very, very beginning. And but I don't think you get to see end. his, like, suit. There was a weird close-up of Ventura at the very beginning. It yeah. was super weird. But then he makes a joke about his hair, and Jesse Ventura says, you can't grow grass on a busy street, which I don't know exactly what that means. He's bald. Yeah, but, like, what's the busy street? Pavement. Bald. But, yeah, but, like, this one, what's, I'd imagine that there's nothing busy going on up there. Mean Gene gets a live interview with Richter and Lopper. Nothing really of sorts said there. But then we head back out to the ring where we get Howard Finkel bringing out the guest ring announcer, Billy Martin. Who is Billy Martin? Billy Martin is most famously known as the Yankee, the New York Yankees manager who got fired and rehired like five dozen times. Oh, okay, yeah. He's number one in our hearts, number one in the clubhouse because he wore number one. All right, yeah, I don't know. Much about baseball. Big name in New York, and that's basically why he's there. Yeah. Uh, Billy then gets to announce the rest of the crew that's going to be dealing with this match. First up, he calls out Liberace, who will be the timekeeper. He walks out with the Rockettes. Yeah, and they do some can-can stuff. Yeah, they get in the ring. I mean, you're with the Rockettes. you got to kick those legs. Yeah, it kind of sucks. Um, the but as fine. you're watching it, the rocket that's closest to the uh, closest to the camera, uh-huh. like literally, you can tell. Like, oh my god, she's like still doing this. <laughs> like you can tell, she's just like, I'm done. I'm tired. Uh, then Billy announces the outside ref will be Muhammad Ali, um, which you really couldn't hear his announcement because the crowd started chanting Ali so loud. Yeah. It might have been the biggest pop of the entire night. And then we get the ninth match. Well, also, uh, you said that he was originally supposed to be? He was originally going to be the ref for the actual match, but 
as the day progressed, he didn't Pat Patterson, or Pat Patterson. He, he just wasn't he wasn't super comfortable, and Pat Patterson was kind of the in charge of making sure everything went smooth. Yeah, and so he was he basically went to Vince and was like, "Hey, I'm gonna be the inside ref, especially after." What do you have Mis- Mistake in of Joe Frazier at Starcade '84. Yeah, I think this was a good decision. So this ninth match was Hulk Hogan and Mr. T with Jimmy Snuka versus Paul Orndorff and Roddy Piper with Bob Orton, and then obviously Muhammad Ali and Pat Patterson were the special guest referees. And, uh, Liberace is the timekeeper. Liberace timekeeper. Billy Martin, the, the announcer. Yeah, it's a it's like, it's to, it's all like kinds ten of, people involved in this yeah. thing. So, we're going to start at the top here. Hogan, professional wrestling, WWE, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Famer. Mr. T has actually been inducted into the Celebrity Wing of the WWE Hall of Fame. Snooka is a member of the Professional Wrestling and WWF Hall of Fames. And Orndorff is an NWA Professional Wrestling and WWE Hall of Famer. And last but not least, Pat Patterson member of the Professional Wrestling, WWF, and Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fames. And once again, there's a fun story behind this match. Give it to me. So Piper had begun doing his talk show segment, Piper's Pit, in the lead-up to WrestleMania. On one such episode, Piper had hit Jimmy Snuka over the head with a coconut. Which led to a feud between the two men. It had, of course, it had to be a cut. Of course. <laughs> so at one point, Piper had hired Orton, Cowboy Bob Orton, or I think that's what he was called. Yeah, Cowboy Bob. Or Ace. I think they called him Ace Bob Orton or something like that. To be his bodyguard. So then on another episode of Piper's Pit, Piper would start speaking out against the WWF Rock and Wrestling Connection, which is bringing Cindy Lauper in yeah. to do all this. And he would actually attack Cindy Lauper and Captain Lou Albano. This would bring Hogan out for the rescue. Yeah. USA, baby. And it set up a match for the war to settle the score, which we talked about a few minutes ago, where Leilani Kai beat. Uh, Hogan would defeat Piper, but only by DQ. Are those shows on the network? I don't those know. Those MTV shows? I'd be interested to check those out, because they can't be too long. Well, the only sh- the only match they showed was, at the War to Sell the Score, was the Piper-Hogan match. Oh, and it was just and a bunch of And the only one, the only one they showed at the Brawl to win it all was the Moolah-Richter So it was match. just like a weird music video Basically, mashup. Basically, yes. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Hogan would beat Piper by DQ, because Orndorff and Orton would both interfere in the match. Who was at ringside? Mr. T, of course. And he and Lopper would jump in the ring after the match was over, but were both attacked by Piper and friends. Actually, it's famously known that Cindy Lopper actually gets kicked in the head oh. by Roddy Piper at this show. My mom saw Cindy Lopper once with like a friend uh, a few years ago, like probably a decade ago at this point. She, like, in performing, she did something and fell off of the stage and then performed the rest of the show like in a wheelchair. I was like, at least she finished the show. Poor Cindy Lauper. I mean, girls just want to have fun. <laughs> yeah, well, she wasn't going to let anybody go home disappointed. So Exactly. More power to her. So we get a live bagpipe band bringing up Piper and Orgel. Yeah, that was cool. It was very cool. I don't even like bagpipes at all. 
but uh, it was super fan. fun. I'm a big fan. Are you a big fan of bagpipes? I like the bagpipes. You're a Flogging Molly fan? I definitely am. <laughs> Watching the show on WWE Network, the song you're going to hear as Hogan and Mr. T come out is Real American, but at the actual show, I of the Tiger yeah, is this Survivor. Right before or right after Rocky? Rocky Three had, I think, just come out. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, that's obviously like yeah, Mr. Big, T's there. Yeah, there's a reason. But that is actually what is played as they come out. The match starts. Mr. T actually gets Piper in a, up in a fireman's carry and tosses him down, dropping him like a Spanish newspaper. Is that what they say? Yes. What does that even mean? Uh, I love all those weird adages that like are just so yeah so nonsensical. Uh, Piper pops up, pushes him into the corner, and then everybody's in the ring just kind of brawling. Uh, Ali jumps in the ring, helps clear it. He actually connects on a punch to oh, Piper, which I'm all like, how does Piper not just like? Did Piper's ear start bleeding? <laughs> <laughs> um, he threw another at Orton to get him off the apron. And after this, the heels are just like, whatever, we don't need this match. They start he- they head back to the locker room. And Pat Patterson starts the 10 count. But Hogan grabs Patterson and is like, no, we don't want to win it this way. Yeah. And for some reason, the heels come back. I mean, they've already li- literally left the ringside. It's not like they're just standing outside the ring. They have left. And they come back. But Mr. T takes control of the ring with a pair of body slams and a snapmare. Hogan sends Piper over the top rope with a big boot, but Orndorff sneaks in from behind and sends him to the floor with a clothesline. Piper then hits Hogan with a chair shot on the floor, and the heels are in control of the match. As they're in control, Mr. T just keeps stepping into the ring, which allows the heels to double team because Patterson's over there trying to basically be like, hey, you have to to be outside the ring. Orndorff ends up missing a knee off the top rope, and we get a hot tag. Mr. T into the ring, but Piper Pearl harbors him there it is. to regain control. But then we get another hot tag. Hogan starts laying right hands to everybody. A back suplex from Orndorff has him and Hogan down in a double knockout spot, which then sees Orton and Snooka jump in the ring to start brawling, but Snooka sends Orton right back out. And then Orndorff gets Hogan up in the full Nelson, and Orton's coming down with his hand in a cast and accidentally hits Orndorf instead of Hogan. And Hogan rolls Orndorf over, gets the one, two, three. Yeah, it's a it's a big old mess of a match, but it's pretty fun. It was super fun. Post-match, uh, Piper actually punches uh, Pat Patterson. Oh, like real heat? Like, I don't know if it was real heat, but he like legitimately punched him. Yeah. And then him and Orton head to the back, leaving Orndorff just, like, prone in the ring. And Mr. T actually is, like, is checking on Orndorff, like, hey, are you okay and everything. And when he wakes up, none of his none of his teammates are around and everything. He's like, what's going on? And then, of course, we get some classic Hogan posing. Yeah. And all the guests get in the ring to celebrate. Uh, mean Gene is in live interview with Hogan, Mr. T, and Jimmy Snuka. Hoganisms. Yeah, Mr. T basically just says, train hard. <laughs> I don't know if it's a fun fact here, but this match almost didn't happen. Mr. T actually disappeared for like half a day, the day of the show. 
because he wasn't sure if he was like sure if he wanted to do the match. Yeah, it, how well he was going like, to like like performance wise, or if he just wanted anything to do with performance wise. I think he was worried that he was going to yeah make a fool of himself basically. Yeah. I mean, in a, in a match where uh, basically everybody's in the ring, it's hard to make a fool of yourself because everybody's making a fool of themselves. True. But then we go to uh, Gorilla and Jesse at, at ringside. They're basically saying their goodbyes. And then we get the credits roll. Oh, we finally get to see his beautiful pink suit. Beautiful pink suit. Uh, credits roll uh, while we get a photo package from yeah. the evening. It's fun. I always love the like old photo packages in the credits. Absolutely. Overall thoughts of WrestleMania 1? Oh, it's great. Everyone should watch it. I agree. There's uh, not like, yeah, there's no match on here that's like worth skipping there's one match that what, I the would... bundy the bunny match it's so no no doesn't matter. the san martino brutus match is probably the dud oh yeah i bet it's i i had a fun time with that i think it's just the, how hot the crowd is for bruno that makes it exciting I, I think i think they should have made it a tag team match yeah and then it, it probably would have been better you could have hit david and brutus a little bit better if Johnny if Johnny Valiant and Bruno Sammartino had been in the match yeah. as well. You could have hit them a little bit better and had someone basically be watch, a ring yeah. general. I would watch it just for Brutus and, um, oh, what's the manager's name? Johnny Valiant. Yeah, and Johnny Valiant's... Um, Promo. No, just their attire in general. Uh, just, just their ring sure. wear is, is worth watching the match for. I mean, I'm right there with you. I feel like it's a super fun show. I'm sure some of it is the nostalgia hitting me. Yeah. Um, since we're seeing of a lot course. of a lot of guys that we grew up watching wrestling and everything, so good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. But I think it's time to smark it up. So, what do you think some of the best moments? Oh man, of the night were the real Russian heat. Oh, real Russian heat real is Russian definitely heat is like always great. The uh, there is trash being thrown in the ring. Has there been trash thrown in the ring since like uh, Nitro? I, I mean, probably, but probably. Like, on, like, but I mean, like on a on a big show. I don't know. I mean, that's the that's the last time that I remember. Yeah, I I was really uh, I really liked the women's match a lot. I did too. I I the finish was was yeah, a botched finish, but we all have to admit that. Yeah, all. But the match itself was actually pretty fun. Wendy Rickard did that uh, release fireman's carry slam. That looked really cool. Like, yeah, they were I both, was like, yeah. no one does that move. They, yeah, I mean, outside of that finish, they both looked pretty clean, and they both, like, moving fast. Yeah, I was just really so really surprised by that match, because I haven't watched a lot of this old stuff, and uh, in the 90s when I was watching wrestling, there was definitely not very many matches like that that involved women, and they were uh, a whole different story. I, I love Volkov doing the Russian national anthem, and then the... Soviet Union number one, U.S. Or or, Iran uh, number, number one. one, USA. Pooey. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Most disappointing moments. Every time Alfred Hayes is on the screen. Yes, Alfred Hayes uh, is very bad. No, I mean I don't know. I, there wasn't anything that I absolutely hated. Like, of course, the King Kong Bundy match was going to be. Uh, well, it was I mean, going to be short anyway. It, it was set up to be, you know, I think that match would have been more disappointing if, if it, it hadn't had gone. been yeah, nine ex- seconds. Exactly. I, I think that's what made it a fun match. It's a, it's a WrestleMania moment, and yeah. it's, you know, that kind of thing. I, I keep hating 
harp on David San Martino, but I liked David. I but I, I guess mean, I had I, low I saw, expectations. I saw the I saw what he was doing. I think it just hit after the first three matches, and it was like, okay, this match. I think it just dragged on way too long. Basically, is the problem with that match because it yeah, went I eleven mean, minutes after these first three matches were super high flying and like getting getting in and out of the ring and good moves, good wrestlers. You know, how are you going to follow up Ricky Steamboat no. with David San Martino and Brutus Beefcake? Like. That's not something that should have been done. Uh, I'll be surprised if, uh, as we continue, any show that Steamboat's on, like if his match is not at least number at least number two on the card. I mean, I think I think we have definitely figured out that we are we are Steamboat fans at this point. Uh, would you make him your best performer of the night? I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's a huge argument for anybody else because you know everybody loves Hulk Hogan, but it was it was a it was a a mess of a match on purpose. I don't know. I, Steamboat, like I said, we're, we're going to be Steamboat. We're going to be Steamboat, Steamboat fans. Stands. Yeah, we're, we're going to be we're going to be Steamboat fans for a while. I think we both mentioned the the women's match. Yeah, Wendy Richter, I thought did a great job with some of her moves. Um, the tag match was fun. Um, I love, yeah, I love Junkyard's performance. You you like that match more than I do? Yeah, I but, just like his uh, like his attitude. And I love those headbutts, man. Anything surprising about this pay-per-view? They didn't have the WWF championship on the line? Yeah, I was talking about that beforehand, for sure. The Yeah, that was that's kind of... I guess that would be the thing. It's like there's no heavyweight title on the line, and there's not going to be any kind of pay-per-view between this and uh, WrestleMania 2. That's not true. It is not true? No, we have the Wrestling Classic, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks. Okay. I didn't think that they had multiple uh, pay-per-views until, like, what? They didn't really. I think, I think it was WrestleMania was such a big thing that they... They're like, hey, we can... Maybe we can do this again. Yeah. Sooner than, sooner than later. What do you have on, like... Uh, do you have any fun uh, bullet points for the production of the show, or...? Not really, no. It just... Most of my bullet points about the production was that the network yeah. dubbed, dubbed stuff over, which was... Which was Weird and interesting all at the same time, just because of rights issues and stuff like that. They could shell out a couple of bucks to get those songs. Like, how much is it going to cost to put Eye of the Tiger <laughs> on your network? Was there only like one or two fucked finishes? Uh, yeah, I think. Let's see here. Which is uh, pretty good considering the last couple of shows we yeah. watched. I mean, that was a pin, that was a pin, pin. Yeah, uh, Kai, Kai totally tapped, but. That was just her mistake. I mean, the Brutus San Martino was a double DQ. I mean, Valentine. Valentine, got, yeah, was was a leverage pin, but then got counted out. Yeah, but I, I was, I liked that one. As far as I mean, uh, you had the heels hitting the the faces with the cane and the tag match, but yeah, but there was no that, like that big wasn't snafus a, where like no uh, like those other shows where I didn't know what happened. Like yeah, I know what happened knew exactly at the end of what each happened. match. Yeah, which is a. Pretty big plus considering Starcade '83 and '84. Yes, definitely. And now a look back even farther into the history of wrestling. The dusty finish. Out of the carnival circuits emerged one of the most important and influential wrestlers of all time, Martin Farmer Burns. Born in Cedar County, Iowa, in 1861, he began wrestling impromptu matches as early as eight years old. 
While many competitors during the time frame were just brute strength, Burns learned the strategies and techniques of catch wrestling. Catch wrestling relies more on submission than hooks, which was perfect for the 165-pound Burns. In 1895, Burns would defeat Evan Strangler Lewis to become the American heavyweight champion, holding the title for two years. He claimed to have wrestled more than 6,000 matches in his career, losing only seven times. Most of those matches were at most semi-legitimate, but Burns did understand the importance of showmanship. Using his impressive 20-inch neck, he would allow himself to be hung, all while whistling Yankee Doodle. But even as phenomenal as he was as a wrestler, his most important contribution was what he gave back. He would write what would become the Bible for all aspiring wrestlers in the early 1900s, called Lessons in Wrestling and Physical Culture. He would also personally train more than 1,600 wrestlers. So this next week, we got the Great American Bash 1985. Which was, it was a pay-per-view, but the copy we watched was like an old VHS tape rip. Correct. Like, for some reason, the full show has magically disappeared into the ether of the world. They actually, like, cut it. <laughs> yeah, cut I know. It when they made the tape. I don't know exactly what they did. But Pro Wrestling Illustrated actually put together a videotape with highlights from the show. Yeah, it's only and an hour long. It's an hour long. It's a very rare video, but you can find copies of it out there on VHS. Yeah, I think you can stream it on, like, Daily Motion. Find Yeah, Daily Motion YouTube. I think you can find it there. If you possibly, if you want to do something that's... Not completely. I, I don't think. I think if it's that hard to find, it's okay to steal it off the internet. Yeah, like that's if, what it's, I said not, if they, it's not like they have it on. We DVD. do not endorse that. <laughs> no, but if they don't have it on, like, if you can't buy it off an Amazon for like on a DVD, like, then isn't it basically like out there for public consumption anyway? You can get it. It now? should be in public domain. Yeah, that's what it should be. <laughs> what is the what is the the rule on public domain? It's like how many years? It's like seventy years. Until, so. Yeah, until like. So we still got it. Yeah. You still got a few years well, for it. Yeah, yeah I know that Disney keeps like finding ways around that. Yeah, exactly. So the music this week, I'm putting in the original music, guys. No, that's totally it's totally cool. it's what's happening because music you heard at the very beginning of the show is going to be Easy Lover. The instrumental version was written by Phil Collins and Philip Bailey, and you might be hearing it right about now. <laughs> Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. It's always a great song. Go and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or just wherever you find your podcasts. Let us know what you think about us. We always like those. We always like to know what you think about us. Uh, you can always hit, hit us up on our email at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com and you can always find us on our Twitter wrestlinghistox that's wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X and we'll talk to you next week. 